To have passion in life is everything. What's your Everest? Oh, is it yeah. that 200 inch box? They just look so impressive when they're wide. Especially running away. <laughs> Welcome to this week's episode of Eastman's Elevated. It's like a think tank for outdoor activity. Sounds exactly like my hunting. Just always thinking about it, always trying to evolve it and make it better. Here's your host, Brian Barney. Yo, what's happening, guys? Got a brand new podcast for you. So this week I sat down with Mike Glover from Fieldcraft Survival. Uh, so Mike, he, he's also on the Fieldcraft Survival podcast, and he's just got great insight into our current status. Uh, he preaches preparation, self-reliance, and, and just talks about our, our current situation, and we have a back and forth of uh, uh, what we should be doing and what we should be focused on. Along with that, Mike's also, he's military background, he also has combat experience, and, and he's also an instructor um, for pistols and rifle, and and so I thought it was a great opportunity to ask him about my shot process and explain my situation with springtime bears and hunting them with a bow and arrow, and um, man, he just gave me some great insight into pistol shooting and 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 what I should be working on, and drills I can use, and, and, and really dives deep into the process, and he just understands it so well. It just made for a great conversation. I got a lot out of it. I know you guys are going to enjoy it, and we'll get right into it. I just want to thank our sponsors real quick. I want to thank Zamberlin Boots. So Zamberlin Boots, uh, they just build a great set of boots. I've been using them from the last few seasons, and I'm just so impressed with what they're building. So last year, I used their 320 Trailite GTX uh, Evo. What a great boot. Single-piece leather design, Gore-Tex liner. And if you listen to that Zamberlin podcast, they just don't cut any corners with their quality. Uh, quality is number one for Zamberlin as a company, and they just build superb boots. So I really like those. Um, I also like their uh, their their 120 trail lights, the 103 uh, hike light. Uh, RRs. There's those are just a great shoe. I use them for stocking and and um, they they just have a bunch of really good mountain boots to fit your your preferences and and your style of stiffness and, and you know they they have the utmost in quality. So if you guys are in the market for new boots, make sure to check out Zamberlin. Uh, you guys can check them out at Sportsman's Warehouse, another sponsor of the podcast. Sportsman's Warehouse does a great job of bringing in the best brands like Zamberlin. Uh, I, I looked at the email this year. They've got eight or nine different sets of boots in there at Sportsman's Warehouse that you can try on for different sizes, different fit, and uh, make sure you get the set that fits you, uh, which is, is super beneficial. Same with, with gear. They carry Sitka. You can try it on. You can touch and feel it. They also have a knowledgeable staff in each department, guns and archery. Um, they're staying open. The majority of their stores are open. Uh, they also have online too. But Sportsman's Warehouse, uh, a great company. Uh, they have absolutely everything you need for fishing and hunting and the outdoors. Uh, so if you're in the market for anything outdoors, make sure to check out Sportsman's Warehouse. And with that, over there at Eastman's, uh, make sure to check out the new Tag Hub. Um, Check out our, our Beyond the Grid internet TV show, Eastman's Hunting Journal on the Outdoor Channel, uh, Eastman's Elevated Podcast, keeping me busy over here. So it's been good. 
Um, been busy here uh, putting in some footings, recording some good podcasts, so should be some good content getting ready to release to you guys. So uh, let's get into it. So it's it's Mike Glover. I'm your host, Brian Barney. Eastman's Elevated. Here we go. Okay, I've got Mike Glover on the phone. Uh, Mike, man, you've been uh, busy. I know you've been running Fieldcraft Survival Podcast and the, the website, and um, you're riding out the, the virus down in Arizona. How's everything going? It's doing well, man. For, for everything that's happening across the nation, we I feel blessed that you know we're not getting hit as hard being in uh, rural America in northern Arizona. So we're doing well. I, I can't speak for the rest of the country, but... Um, I'm happy to be in Prescott, Arizona during this time. Yeah, I'm I'm with you. It looks so scary in some of those rural areas where it's really spreading through there. And, and the information just has changed by the day. You know, when it first came up, it, it didn't seem like that big a deal and, and seemed like we were going to be able to get it shut down. But it just every day the information's changing. And, and we just got to continue to evaluate and make smart decisions to keep our family safe. And it, it really makes you think about the older people in our lives and, and keeping them safe and contact down, you know, like my dad and, and my wife's mom and, you know, the girl's grandma and things but yeah we're all managing and like you say ennis montana is a great place to ride it out so just kind of trying to limit our contact yeah that's a good rule of thumb i mean that you know i saw the the models and the white house briefs that are putting out the the mitigation tactic and it seems to be working in other places even italy which got hit hard is starting to round about their curve and they're they're not flat yet but they're um, not as aggressive as they have been because of the amount of mitigation. So I think it's a safe bet that if we just, I think, stick in this together and, and stay away from people and avoid direct contact, it's going to help out. Man, that's great news because that's kind of the scariest part of the whole deal is the unknown and, and worrying about it when we are going to be able to get back to normal or how long this is going to last, how how big of an effect it is going to have on our lives. But um yeah, some of those other countries that have those curves that are starting to to form and go downhill. Um, yeah, it's good signs for us. Yeah, I think so. I, I mean, if you look at our model now, which is kind of doom and gloom, man, it's even the best case scenario for our model shows that anywhere from 100,000 to 220,000 could, could die in America, in the United States, which is a lot of people. And then you know, that's best case scenario with this current model. Worst case scenario, if we didn't mitigate it or do what we're doing now, which is this shelter in place and this isolation quarantine, we would be looking at anywhere from one to two over two million people. So it's definitely going to have an effect. And I just I just hope that uh, people take it seriously. Man, it is not a common cold. And yeah, it's scary. You know, it does affect the older generation, but it's also every once in a while it affects, you know, a young guy. You know, every sickness is different. And you can just tell with common colds and flus that go through my household with my family. You know, sometimes you get it, sometimes you don't. Sometimes it hits one of the kids a little bit harder, but same deal with this virus. But yeah, it's scary. It's taken down. You know, I know I've read an Olympic swimmer. You know, I'm a I'm a trail runner and and uh, always working out, keeping myself in shape, which has helped prepare me for this. For um, you know, just keeping my mind sharp and and remembering to to be patient and to ride it out. And then just being the the leader, 
you know, my family, with my girls. I feel so bad for them, everything they've missed out on. But, um, yeah, just trying to keep my mind sharp and, and keep riding this thing out and, and being patient. But it can affect us young, in-fit guys. There's no guarantee that it's, that it's not going to get you. So, yeah, we, we definitely have to take this thing serious, heed the government's warnings, you know, and, and make sure we're shelter in place and, and not being part of the solution and not part of the problem. Absolutely. Yeah, I'm not willing to take the chance. I'm, I'm, I'm healthy as well, but I also understand what it's doing to uh, older people and people with compromised immunity. And then there are some outliers where we don't even exactly know why people are, some people are affected. There's a there's actually a blood marker where if you have, for example, O, o positive blood or O blood, um, you're less likely to get affected by this than if you have, for example, a negative or some other blood type. So there's so many variables involved. It's like, why, why even roll the dice and take the chance, especially with people in your families that are older. So I'm willing to, to, to ride this out, read more books, spend more time with my family and, and uh, take the necessary precautions for everybody else. Yeah, that's exactly right. Yeah. The, I was reading something about those blood markers. That is interesting. And, and then I just look at, at, at some of the recovery times with this, like there's still 80% of the U S population that's still infected with it. Like when it gets you, it's tough to recover from. And, and I remember that, that Olympic swimmer, I remember reading, you know, his statements just about how much fitness he lost. And, um, and, and we have no idea the long-term damage it could do to your lungs or to your breathing or, you know, that we're, we're just still learning about this whole deal. So yeah, it's scary. We definitely want to keep our distance and, and uh, try to avoid it at all costs for us and our family. Yeah, I'm 100%. Yeah. So, um, man, well, you have been um, you've been talking about uh, uh, things like happening in the United States like this. Like, so so your shelter in place now, you know, we're kind of in it now and the, there's um, no more real preparing for it. But what can people do to be safe um, you know, as far as what should they have on hand at the, at their house, uh, you know, as far as water and food and, and, and what do you recommend at this time? No contact to the outside world ordering in or limited contact or, or how exactly are you going about it, Mike? Yeah. I mean, so in November of last year, um, I actually did a whole series of posts, um, and trying to educate people about pandemics and, I, I had internally talked to my guys because we, you know, we wake up every morning and we're completely immersed in this kind of stuff, especially worst case scenarios. And the, the highest, I remember saying this out loud, the highest likelihood of us having a natural catastrophe um, was going to be a pandemic that that destroyed us. Like small, natural or even man-made disasters are limited in their scope and exposure um, and, and typically we recover from those quickly, even from tornadoes and devastating hurricanes. We've, we've been there, done that. But the last time that we've been grossly affected by a pandemic has been a hundred years in this country. I mean, the, the Spanish flu or Spanish influenza from 1918 to 1919 killed 675,000 people in the United States of America. And the predictions are, uh, anywhere from the estimates are anywhere from 50 to 100 million people worldwide. Well, if you look at the comparisons of the Spanish influenza, for example, and to what this is doing to our country, obviously we have in, we have influenza 
vaccines, which is about a 50% hit ratio in success. Meaning if you get a vaccine, you have about a 50% chance of it not grossly affecting you, whether that's type A or type B. And what people don't understand is if this pandemic, which has been issued a pandemic by the World Health Organization, was 100 years ago, it would be double, if not triple, the effects on our country today. So what what I want people to understand about this and preparedness especially is how contagious this is. And there's something called an R not factor. And, you know, I've this isn't me formulating an idea. This is me talking to scientists and, and people a lot smarter than me. But the R not factor is basically just the ratio of how many people you infect because you're contagious. So the R not factor with the, the standard flu is about a one to one ratio. It's like one point two. So that means for everybody who's infected, they infect another person. The R not factor for the Spanish influenza in 1918 was about 1.8. So let's just call it a one to two ratio. So for every person who got sick, they infected two people. The R not factor for the COVID-19 is anywhere from 2.5 to 3.5. Good estimates are it's about three. So you're talking about three people for every one person that's infected. Part of that reason that we're mitigating and staying six feet or more away from people is because of how contagious this really is. So my first recommendation would be, one, understand that exposure to other people is you're running your highest risk of getting infected. And because you can go up to 14 days asymptomatic, meaning showing no symptoms of being sick, then for 14 days after infection, you are infecting everybody around you which is the reason, one of the reasons why the R0 factor is so high and you don't realize it. So the, you know, the, a couple other statistics are 80% of people who get infected are going to recover. They're going to be okay. But like you said, we don't know the long-term effects because a lot of people are getting infected with viral pneumonia, which has a, a gross adverse effect on your lung capacity and, and causes a lot of damage. And, and that's, that's undetermined how long of damage we're doing because of this. 20% of people who are infected wind up being hospitalized. And then you have around 15% of that 20% that wind up uh, as fatalities. Hence the reason why anywhere from 3 to 6% um, in the United States and then 8, 8% and up mortality rates depending on what country you're in. So, one, you don't want to roll the dice. I would say if your if your government has a shelter in place and your government doesn't have a shelter in place, you should be doing that on your own, which only means mitigating your exposure to people and then thinking about the sustainment of being more self-reliant in the long term. And the long term for me is beyond 30 days. Like I, I have, depending on what it is, 60 to 90 days worth of supplies in my house, even up to a year in some aspects. Like if it comes to vitamins and minerals and uh, nutritional supplements, I have a year's worth of that. I also have uh, nearly a year's worth of food. I don't expect that people are going to be able to afford that. It's just probably not, especially for most people in middle America, but it, it's not expensive. Use this opportunity in shelter in place to where you go out, you get a little bit more each and every time. And that that is part of that. The idea is, 
everything you do where you depend on the government or other people, try to fill that void with being more self-reliant. Uh, you, you got gas uh, in your vehicle. Well, not, why not put gas in cans? Because that extends um, your ability to have fuel on hand, but also uh, reduces your signature or reduces your exposure to other people at those gas stations. And that's just that's just some good rule, rules of thumbs. Yeah, absolutely. Well, and I can see improvements I need to make in my own life, you know, and and um, yeah, I mean, prepared and we have enough food and shelter in place and, and not many people in our town like we're doing fine. You know, we we do make a run, you know, once a month to get our stuff. But if we if it got worse or we had to ride it out, we could. And now they're doing curbside at the grocery store, which, again, limits your contact and. Um, but, but I see places where I could make improvement. I do have the gas cans like you're talking about. I've got gas. I've got my house set up where I can heat the whole thing with wood heat, which is really nice. But a couple improvements I want to make on the next place or on this house after we get all through this, I'd love to have a generator hookup for power. I think a backup power would be nice. Now I have heat in my house, so we'd be fine. Uh, but a backup power generator would be really nice. The other thing I want to get is I have a well. I'm on five acres, uh, which is really cool. I can run all the ranch lands around me in the canyons to get exercise and get outside and breathe fresh air. But, um, but, but yeah, having this this house, I'd like to do the backup generator and having the well. I'd like to do a hand pump on the well, you know, to be able to to keep more water. So just a couple improvements I can make in my own life and. And we just keep analyzing things as a family and, and uh, trying to manage our contact. And I feel, you know, my girls have had everything canceled from school to, to volleyball, but, you know, all their sports, uh, uh, basketball, softball. But, you know, I just keep telling them, you know, we're, we're in good shape. You know, we just keep together as a family. We're keeping busy. They're still doing their schoolwork online. And then, um, you know, we're blessed to have mountains and rivers around. So I've been getting my daughters out fishing and teaming up quite a bit on that you know we just um the the river doesn't have any people down on it and our fishing seasons are still open so that's a good way to to quarantine quarantine and get outside um but yeah i definitely see some improvements i can make in my in my own life and um it sure is a wake-up call for all of us yeah i what's what's interesting is i think with all the bad there's a lot of good that's going to come out of this and i've already started to see some of that, even in my own life where, you know, I, I advocate not just because um, I have a preparedness company, but because I, I think it's important for people to live this way. I always advocate for self-reliance and everything that you do anyway. And when when you look at America, rural America, homesteaders, people who live in the country, they understand how to live this way. It's the way they've been living forever. And so they're not binded or restricted by infrastructure or limited by uh, infrastructure when it does fail, because sometimes it does. And so for me in my own life, like, you know, I have chickens now. I have, um, you know, a a vegetable garden, things that I probably wouldn't have had time for or just didn't think about before where I wanted it in a country setting. I'm probably somewhere in between. I'm in um, the outskirts of uh, downtown Prescott. Um, but on the on the edges of BLM and National Forest, I I want to continue to live like that. And I, I always advocate for people to get outdoors and which is good for your mindset, spend more time with your family. So a lot of the, the things that this is forcing us to do, 
It's forcing people who would not ordinarily do it on their own. And it might be waking them up to a new reality that they might appreciate a little bit more. Man, that's absolutely right. That um, we've always appreciated, you know, being a hunter and producing our, our own organic wild meat. And we, we, we don't buy any meat throughout the year, you know. So, so having those freezers full, it, it's always been prideful. But especially in this time where, where, you know, you have a year's worth of meat saved up in your freezers from last hunting season. So, yeah, it, you're right. If we just move towards being more self-reliant and uh, not relying upon infrastructure, just in general, too, um, you know, it's a good way to live, too. It, it's like a, it, it's like living out of debt, you know, just where you um, – it, you know, you're producing your own food and, and through hard work and and um, determination, like like you get to provide for yourself. I really like that idea, the home garden that you're doing, Mike, and these different projects. And I think it's important this time of year, like in, in this time that we're in, to keep our minds busy. And so, you know, a lot of that is working around the house. I, you know, I'm getting done. I actually got done with a lot of my list before this hit because the winter time is kind of my slower time. So all my 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 housing maintenance, my clear coats and painting doors and things like that has been done. But it it has given me a chance to work on these projects, you know, work on, you know, making sure I've got all my arrows built Um I found time to start tying flies again, which I've been so busy. You know, usually it's just if I can go fishing, I'm I'm out on the water. But yeah, uh, enjoying uh, tying flies and just not letting myself, you know, continuing to get my workouts, continuing to be help healthy. And really, it comes down to controlling what I can control. You know, controlling myself, my leadership, my family, uh, my own mindset. And then I can move forward with a clear head. And so it really hasn't gotten to me at all. And um, you know, whatever we have to do to get through this thing, you know, me and my family are prepared to get through it. Yeah, that's that's an amazing benefit. And I, I like how you put the the debt thing. It's like I, I'm, I live the same way. I don't want to I don't like to have debt accumulated financially and I don't like to have dependence on any government entity or infrastructure. I like to be self-reliant and, and uh like we said, you know, it's it's just an added benefit in a in a difficult time. Yeah. Well, I've, I've seen you've been getting outside a bunch, um, uh, hunting and bow hunting and, and fishing and things. Uh, man, it's it's great uh, that you found a love for the outdoors like that, Mike. Yeah, I just I mean, man, I love I love the outdoors. I feel like especially being in northern Arizona and then people who live in cities, I almost feel bad for them because a lot of people aren't exposed. I mean, there's people who live in the city who never leave the city. Um, but it's a huge opportunity to get back out. You know, I've been fly fishing a little bit more and uh, planning some big hunts. And uh, I'm looking forward to just getting outdoors and, you know, stocking the freezer and, and uh, having the family taken care of for the long haul. Man, good for you. Yeah, uh, there's so much enjoyment to it, too. And um, it, it sure... Uh... It, it sure gives me perspective on my own life. It's weird how when you're in the hustle and bustle of your own life, you can't think of your next move or the long play. But it seems like when you get away from it and you're just in the woods for a few days, you kind of look at your life with more perspective and you're able to make improvements on it and go, hey, you know, why have I been thinking this way or why have I, I had this great idea that I that I haven't gone for and haven't gone all in? And so, you know, this has also given me a chance like like having this 
a little bit of idle time to make sure that I'm I'm doing everything I want to do as far as the the podcast and growing that everything I can work on from home. I've got some great recordings, you know, including getting you on today, uh, a specialist, uh, you know, in in survival and um it, and just so much knowledge about this pandemic. Um, man, it's just great. So yeah, it's like focus on what we can focus on. And um, I know a lot of other people have it way harder than me. You know, I'm just lucky that I that I can pay my bills and keep on top of things and ride this thing out. Uh, that I can social distance. That I'm not in an apartment building or in an inner city. So I, I really feel for for the rest of our nation and and for our healthcare workers and and workers at at grocery stores that you know that have a higher level of exposure than I do. Um, it's just going to take the strength of a nation. We just, uh, we'll get through this thing. We just got to be strong. Yeah, that's a, that's a great point. I mean, people don't realize in their own lives and I've seen a lot of people comment and do memes and everything else about what's going on. Um, not taking it seriously because they're not grossly affected by it. But if you, you know, if you live in New York city, for example, which I'm not a fan of, I, I don't think I've ever been to New York city and I don't think I ever go, but more people, um, have been killed from the COVID-19 in the last 30 to 60 days than were killed in the world trade center when, when both of them collapsed. So it's, it, they're, they're going through a crisis and, you know, I, I feel the same way in, in rural America in the middle of nowhere, I'm not grossly affected, but I feel responsibility in some sense to, you know, pick up my content because I know, you know, we're doing like, for example, I'm doing daily content on, how to handle a gun safely because, you know, last uh, month we set records for the most amount of background investigations and firearms purchased uh, in history. Um, and that's because people are, are, are fearful. They're feel, fearful of uh, people taking advantage of the circumstances that we're in and they want to defend their lives. And so that that's a responsibility and, and burden on us to provide that education and that resource and just like this conversation, uh, which I think is a good one, we should be having that and doing that more often to provide as much give back as we can. Yeah, I, I with my business, have diversified a lot in everything we do, uh, not dependent on any one thing, for example. I and mean, that's the same mindset I live in my life, but it's the same way that I approach business, where I don't want all my eggs in one basket, because if that basket crumbles and falls apart, I don't want to lose everything I got. So we've diversified across so many platforms, so many different aspects of marketing and everything else that we're going to be okay. But a lot of businesses, especially mom and pop shops, aren't, aren't able to do that. And they're being really affected by what's going on. So, um, you know, I always encourage people like what I'm doing is I'm going out every uh, day for lunch and taking, getting takeout from my local businesses and establishments uh, to give more money to them to provide food for us to keep them alive because I don't want to see when this is all said and done for all these businesses and all these people's lives to be to be affected. Uh, so we, we have to stick together in this and just do the best we can. That's a great point, supporting local businesses and, and continuing to live our lives. And, I you know, also the government, um, it, as much as we don't want to rely upon them, you know, the stimulus is going to help from, from crashing the economy. But that's that's the other end of this thing is – 
is the financial strain it's going to put on this nation and put on hardworking people. And so, you know, I'm I'm glad that they everybody was able to come together and and uh, pass some stimulus to kind of help Americans out and help small businesses out. And yeah, hopefully that that helps us to get through this thing. And and I think you know, just like uh, it gives us perspective on this pandemic and our preparedness, it it, it also financially. Um, gives us perspective that, you know, we do need to have months worth of, of payment saved up. We do need to work hard to get ourselves out of debt um, because being in a in a debt load, it's not smart anyways. You're, you're giving all your money away to interest every month. And if you can keep more of that, you can enjoy more of that. And and with that, that financial freedom, it, it also allows you to ride out tough times in the economy. And um, I really think it's smart. Like you say, how you've diversified um, those different those different revenue streams are so important. Where if you're just reliant upon one revenue stream, that can go away at any point in time, just just on the market alone, you know. So yeah, I think that's really smart, Mike. But yeah, just um, this is going to give us a chance to 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 be better and to improve our lives, and that's the way we got to look at this thing. Yeah, I absolutely agree. Yeah. Well, um, you were talking about uh, the content that you've been putting out. It's been great, Mike, um, the the pistol safety and just helping educate everybody. So I have some personal questions about pistols and self-defense. So I've been around guns my entire life. I've fallen in love with fallen in love with archery hunting and the challenge of it and getting close. And so we're coming up on our Montana spring bear season, which is going to be April 15th to June 15th. It's a great time of the year as you get to, to go to the mountains. There isn't many people around. And then you get on these vantage points and you glass for these black bears and you're looking for big mature boars. And, and so you spend days like sometimes, you know, I'll spend 30, 40 days of field just because I can go after work. I can go for an evening hunt. But I love chasing these things with a bow and arrow, like getting in close to these things. It's it's hunting dangerous game. And it's a different it's a different thrill and excitement and challenge that you really have to have your wits about you and make really smart decisions and plays. You can't put yourself at risk. We're also in heavy grizzly bear country. There's attacks every year. So, so you got to keep your head on a swivel out there. So, um, years ago I, um, was archery hunting a black bear. Um, I, I shot him. He disappeared down below me. And then he was going to escape, and he came to escape, and he was going to run right by me, and I huffed at him. And he pinned his ears back and came right at me, and I was able to stick another arrow in him, stop the charge. But I learned my lesson right then and there. It was like, man, I have got to have a pistol with me at all times and have a pistol with me and accessible. And so I started carrying a pistol. At first it was a 40, Glock 40. Now it's a Glock 10. And um, so I carry it, um, and, and you know I shoot it and practice with it. But to be honest, Mike, I didn't put the time in it that I put with my bow. So I carry it, and and fast forward to last season, uh, I'm stalking a bear. I see a, a really nice blonde phase boar, and so I make this this stalk and this play on it, and all the way down this canyon and up the other side, and I come up, and he's still there, and he's feeding in a little meadow, and I sneak into. 30 yards of him and I'm really patient I wait for him to turn and give me the right angle he has no idea I'm there I'm kind of high I'm hidden um, over a little hillside of grass and so I put a perfect arrow into him into the back shoulder and uh, behind the front shoulder and and 
and bears are just different than than shooting at ungulates and 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 part of the bear hunting around here um you know we're open it in the spring it really helps our ungulate population as black bears uh they're they're just they kill 40 percent of fawns and calves during the calving grounds so their their population really needs to be controlled plus we love the meat it's got a little bit more fat content to it um, you know, I wouldn't say it's as good as a deer and elk steak. It's it's just different, but it's got more yeah. fat content that you don't have to add to it. So we really like it, especially in the springtime uh, when their diet is mostly grass and flowers and wild onions and things. But anyway, so I stock up on this bear, and I make a shot at 30 yards. Instantly when I hit this bear, it roars like a lion and bites back at the arrow. It spins a couple circles well, I'm downhill of this bear, so this bear isn't looking to charge me. The bear is looking to escape the situation it's in. So the country flows this bear. The way this bear runs to escape is downhill, and I'm in a pinch point right downhill from this bear. And so I can see it happening as soon as I put the arrow in the bear, set my bow down, draw my pistol, and the the bear comes right down at me, and I have to defend my position. And not that the bear is trying to get me, but he's charging right at me. And so I started shooting, Mike, and and it was a bad display of shooting. I never looked at my sight. This is always what you preach and what I watch in in all your videos and in your social media uh, shot process. And I didn't have one built for my pistol. And so I drew my pistol staring at the bear, and I shot nine times, hit it twice, and grazed it once. It was not a great display of shooting. And, and after I finally looked at my sights and calmed down and squeezed around, the, the, the whole thing was over. And thank goodness I had an arrow in this bear lung. Bear lungs already um, but this was a wake-up call to me you know I've got to keep myself safe in these mountains and be prepared for these situations so I've really taken my pistol shooting a lot more serious run a lot more rounds through my pistol and got better but I have this chance to have you on the podcast today and I was hoping you could help me build a really good shooting process for my pistol or maybe give me some tips that'll help me out um, to, to be better equipped to handle these situations when they arise yeah, it's a. I mean, that's a great story. I, I, I love that. I get excited about because I, I I've never been black bear hunting and I've always wanted to go. But I I love black bear meat and um, it just sounds epic and exciting. Um, when you know for for pistol, pistol is one of the most difficult things to master. I mean, even when I was a a green beret in my prime, um, it, it was hard for us to master pistol because unless you shoot a pistol every single day. It's it's very perishable as a skill set. But what I tell people, just like it is in archery, there's a whole bunch of natural things that you do um, in eye-hand coordination that translate into good shooting. And the, the, the example I use is if you teach a 10-year-old girl how to shoot a pistol and you hand her the pistol and you say, when you pull the trigger, a bullet comes out. And it could hit the intended target. And you put her in front of a paper or still target out to 10 yards. And you say, just go ahead and point the gun and shoot. When she does it, she's more likely successful. One, young girls, just like women, don't have a lot of bad habits. And they don't really argue the fact when they're when they're taught. Unlike little boys and, <laughs> and most men who have these habits and they're like wanting to argue with you. And they contest and try to figure out things on their own. Well, if, if you take that and then you go to them and say, well, you were successful, you hit the target, 
But what I want you to do now is apply seven to eight fundamentals, conscious fundamentals of marksmanship at the same time. What do we think is going to happen? Typically, they're not going to be able to process all that information at once, and they're going to miss the target. And that gives most tacticians or most firearms instructors a good platform to start their five-step process to hitting the target with fundamentals. And so when when you think about that, you know, you have I break it down into two components. One, you have marksmanship, which the fundamentals of marksmanship, which includes stance, breathing, trigger control. Um, depending on what school you're from, it's seven to nine fundamentals are all important, especially when it comes to to uh, to understanding the basics. And then you have tactical considerations or self-defense considerations, which I believe is a completely different thing. In fact, we teach it two separate things. Because when you when you do marksmanship, the luxury you have is time. You have all the time in the world. So if you're doing national match, slow aim fire competitions, or you're just shooting for fun, follow through is a is a significant element in the fundamental because you have plenty of time to follow through on the back end. Well, when you're fighting or shooting a gun to save your life, you you are fighting in a neurological process of fight or flight where you're just doing the best you can and you're holding on for dear life. And so in that process, you make primal decisions or and, and less cognitive decisions than you typically would. So the best way that I tell people to look at it is when you when you shoot a pistol, if you think about shooting an immediate threat, which would be a charging bear, if a bear is closing the distance on you and you have milliseconds, uh, maybe the luxury of seconds to get your gun, draw your pistol, align the gun and, and break shots on the on the target successfully. You don't have enough time to do the fundamentals, which is you don't have the time, for example, to find front sight focus, front sight focus alone as a process, which is the focus from target to your front sight actually takes three tenths of a second or more. And, and the variables depend on your age your genetics, and a whole bunch of other things. So the, the reaction time for a bear to charge and close a distance on you is going to be somewhere in that window. So the question for me would be, do you have enough time to find your front sights when engaging an immediate threat, whether that's a person pointing a gun at you or a charging bear closing the distance? And the answer is no. Um, some of the top shooters in the world actually never find their front sights in, in the entire uh, competition or stages of fire that they're shooting. So they might shoot 100 targets in a day competition broken up into four to eight stages. They'll never find their front sights. And it, what's bizarre to me is even when I was in a, a special operations guy is not understanding this and, and then learning about it after the fact and then asking the question where people were offended, where they're like, no, 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 you'll always find your front sights. And then other people going, no, 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 you'll never find your front sights. So the breakdown is, you, depending on the circumstance, you want to find the front sights, but sometimes you won't. So when you train, you need to train how to point shoot a target. And I don't even like to use point shoot because it has, just like prepper, it has a lot of bad stereotypes associated with it. I don't want you to point shoot a target and then just figure that out as your solution. And then that's going to be your end state. What I want you to do is align the rear and front sight with the target, with a target and clear focus, and start shooting. 
and then evolve your eyes to the front sight when you get the opportunity. Because you're not going to lull the gun or lull the shot to wait for your focus to transition from target to front sight. You're going to start breaking those shots. Well, at some point, you need to evolve to the gunfight. Typically, on the range, we found this to be about three to four shots in. Your eyes will pick up that front sight. And then at that point, you can make those fine adjustments to aim small, miss small. Remember, just like in uh, – and I, I always talk about Tony Blauer and combatives because – he has a tactic for a flinch response, which you're going to flinch if you're surprised and you're fighting for your life in fight or flight. Well, if that response in that flinch is a tactic instead of just a flinch cowering in fear, then you have a you have something to fight for. Just as is presenting the gun and breaking the shots in alignment is your flinch response instead of lulling the shot or instead of panicking and just shooting arbitrarily into the into the air around the threat um so go to the range practice your abilities to draw push the gun as quickly as possible and break the shots on target and extend your range i could point shoot targets up to 25 yards not because i'm a a pistolero but because i practiced and so i understand what the relationship is between the rear and front side of my gun and the alignment of that barrel in the background of my unfocused vision while maintaining target focus. And then as I'm breaking those shots, I'm going to evolve my sights or evolve my eyes on sights in order to upgrade my situation. Those processes and the way your eyes and your gun and even in your fight or flight work are so important in understanding the tactic in order to be successful in a bad circumstance. Oh my gosh, Mike, your understanding of that and explanation of that, it, it describes my situation perfectly. I finally found my front sights, but I didn't find them fast enough because I hadn't been practicing enough. I found my front sights about shot seven or eight uh, and then realized I wasn't aiming and pulled to it. But now that I understand what was going on... Um, Man, I can practice even more. And you're right, familiarity with my weapon in that. I like what you say, that point and shoot. And I I like that you've you've accepted that that you are gonna fire some of these point and shoot shots before you can find your sight. Uh uh accepting that uh under that intense adrenaline, like just knowing that that's gonna happen makes me more comfortable in that situation and not having you know, finding my front front sight. Uh, after I get the first couple rounds off, because that is my reaction. That makes total sense to me. Um, man, you've really given me some tools to improve my shooting. I appreciate it. Oh, no problem. And I, I, I love that. I love that breakdown because when I teach students on my ranges, the first time they do it, they, they are actually conscious and accountable. And what I mean by that is when you're fighting for your life, when you're flinching because of fear or because of threat, you know, threat is the is the actual reaction to something that might be, you know, ingrained into your DNA or it might be something from your past experiences. But a fear response is the contemplation, the emotional contemplation of that threat. So it might be a thought. It might be like, oh, I'm going to die. All those things impede your ability to respond and react appropriately. But if your first reaction and your first muscle memory is drawing your gun, presenting with a good grip and then breaking the shots, when you practice this, you could just do a five-shot string, and you could shoot five rounds where you take the pistol from the higher ready or take it from the draw. You push the gun 
And upon extension, which doesn't give you enough time to track your front sight, you start breaking the shots. As you shoot, by the third or fourth sh shot, you should force your eyes to pick up that front sight and then ask yourself at the end of the five-shot string, what did you see visually? And, and for a lot of people, this is where the ego has to be put in your back pocket because it's like most people say, yeah, yeah, yeah I, saw the, I saw the front sights. Well, you didn't shoot the intended target where it needed to be. Your first three shots were all over the place, and then your last two subsequent shots were all over the place. Did you really see it? Oh, maybe I didn't. So you're asking yourself, hey, what did I consciously see? That drill and forcing your eyes and forcing your brain to be switched on when in fight or flight it doesn't want to be connected uh, is going to make you more connected to understanding what's happening and then this train your eyes to do something automatically uh, when it wants to run on autopilot and not do those things in fight or flight. Man, um, so much of what you're saying applies to to bow hunting and making it like you get that the same rush, the same buck fever of really wanting to make that shot. Now, your life isn't in danger, but it's almost like a car wreck when you first shoot at an animal with your bow. You forgot to look at the pin. You forgot to aim. And so like like part of bow hunting is trying to get control of yourself, your emotions, calm yourself down, be cool and collected in that moment and then execute that one good shot that you have a chance on. And it takes so long to to be able to grasp that and be able to calm yourself down. And even when you can calm yourself down, there's still an element of that. Like you say, that fight or flight that you almost can't control, that you always are going to get this adrenaline rush that you have to manage you know, in those moments. But man, that is such great insight, Mike. That's going to make me so much better in the woods. And I, you know, I'm I'm always managing risk. And the most important thing of backcountry hunting is safety. But I love this thrill and this challenge of hunting bears. But I'm always trying to keep outside that hundred yards mark. I give them a wide berth. I don't go in on sows and cubs. If I see them, I don't try to make myself my presence known unless they see me. I try to to back out of the situation with a good win, not give them my win, and just get out of that 100 yards because I believe inside that 100 yards, that bear has to choose fight or flight. And the majority of time, it's going to be flight, but I don't want to take that chance or, or have to be in that scenario. But when you're going in and see a bear you want to harvest, um, you are intentionally putting yourself in that danger zone inside 100 yards, heck, inside 50 or 40 yards there's an element of danger. So those tools that you've given me are really going to help me. I'm going to practice those five-shot bursts, finding my sight. I'm going to practice drawing, um, uh, uh, getting quicker on the draw, and just more more comfortable, more familiarity, running more rounds through that pistol is just going to give me more confidence in the bear world and in the bear woods. And I, I think also I trail run a ton with my dog, and I carry bear spray. I'm contemplating like starting to carry my pistol out there. There's so many attacks around my valley and, and I just got, you know, I got a responsibility to make sure I come home to my, to my family every night. And so these trail runs, I'm considering trying to find some sort of holster where I can, I can run with that pistol in the woods as well. Yeah, that's a, that's a good consideration. I, there, I live in uh, mountain lion territory. There's tons of cats around here and Arizona is just known for, for cats. Uh, I, um, I, I've gotten used to carrying my Glock 43, which is a small 9 mil compact Glock. It's a single stack Glock. Um, now, it's not the preferred round 
um, or, or the preferred caliber, but there are some good self-defense rounds that whether it's bonded or it's a, a synthetic that add enhancement to the, the tissue damage it would do on, on an animal. And I, I'm comfortable with carrying that gun. It's super light and I could stick it inside of my camelback and, and you know, I could stick it inside of a fanny pack if I'm trail running or, or hiking. And I would rather have that and then get used to the weight and the considerations than regret it at a latter point. And, um, you know, it's like a good deterrent as well. When that, when that gun's presented, an animal doesn't know that it's a gun, but when you're breaking those shots, they understand what loud and scary is, and that could send them into a, a flight mode to get away from the circumstances. And so I think it, it is a good, a good tactic, especially if you spend a lot of time outdoors in, in rural America. You're right about a deterrent. Those animals do see it as a deterrent. I know I've been up in Alaska where those grizzly bears, all of a sudden they're around camp and you're shouting and they've just never seen a human. But pretty soon you break a couple rounds, you know, up above them or down in the dirt or whatever. They get the idea real quick what's going on and they don't want yeah. any part of it. And, and that goes for, there's a, there's a number of scenarios that can go on in these Montana woods. Not only, Grizzly bears and black bears, like you said, mountain lions are about the scariest. They are a predator, and and chances are you're not going to see it coming. They're so good at ambush hunting and sneaking up on their prey. And you look at a mountain lion's claws, they're an inch and a half long. They look like a velociraptor. One swipe across your midsection, you know, and, and he'd have you. And that's why, like, keeping aware in the woods is, is such a – uh, a, a big part of the equation as well is, is just keeping your head on a swivel, being um, conscious of your surroundings and, and and looking around, looking for movement. The human eye picks up movement really well and just got never getting too comfortable um, in in the woods and in your surroundings because at any time something could be sneaking up on you. And, and the other thing uh, local Montanans – uh, are spooked of i know some guys that are more scared of moose than they are bears they stand seven feet tall and they're used to stomping out coyotes and wolves and, and so they come at you with those front paws and they can be really dangerous and that's again where that that bear spray isn't going to do you much good but a, a pistol with that loud noise and loud bang that's going to be a deterrent for that moose to get out of there too um so i'm with you i think it's just a uh a great a great asset and like you say you wouldn't want to you wouldn't want to want that pistol later after one of those scenarios it's just good to be prepared and to have it on you so i have to get used to to running with this thing and finding a system for carrying it at all times in the woods yeah agreed man agreed yeah well uh mike thank you so much for your time and your insight both into the the virus and making it through safety of americans and then um, your your tips with shooting are really going to help me out, so I appreciate it. No, thank you. I always appreciate you have me on the podcast, and I, lo I love this forum of discussion, and I'm just a big fan of you guys, and I, I appreciate having me on. Yep, so the uh, the audience, they can find you, Fieldcraft Survival. You guys have your website there. You have your podcast, Fieldcraft Survival. Uh, I, I know you probably have a bunch of things in the works. Uh, anything else you want to mention, Mike? Yeah, we, we, you know, I'm doing a lot of content on my personal Instagram, which is Mike.A.Glover. And um, uh, we're, we're doing a lot of stuff on bugging out and talking about, like, how do you displace from a, uh, an urban or potential bad environment to a safe or 
more rural environment. And we're, we're talking about the loadout. Our last two podcasts, part one and part two, were all on the considerations for that. I've been asked to put out a list of my equipment list for what we would consider. Um, it's not exclusive to escape and invade in combat. It's, it's talking about, like, what would you do right now if you were gridlocked in the middle of San Francisco or a, a densely populated area? And you had to go on foot and displaced from a bad circumstance. And that could be taken across any kind of scenario. I think it's super important. And uh, you guys could check out more of that on our the Philcraft Survival channel on YouTube um, and, and all the content that we have. Just just Google Philcraft Survival and there's a whole plethora of, of free content that's available. Man, uh, you're such a valuable resource for all of us Americans. So thanks so much for all the content you put out. I'm going to go check out those YouTubes, and uh, we'll stay in touch. Keep safe. Thanks, Brian. Thank you. Okay. All right, guys. That's a wrap. Fun podcast with Mike. Um, just got to stay positive. We just got to get through this ordeal, you know. Um, man, Ride it out and see the other side and get life back to normal and get out, start making some money and get out and do these hunts and these adventures we want. I mean, if anything, it gives us great perspective on how good we had it and how, how much was out there, you know. And so, yeah, we just got to heed the warning here and stay in and not spread this stuff around and get through this deal. So uh, we're getting closer by the day. Great conversation with Mike. Such great insight into you know our current situation, and also just great insight into to pistol shooting and building a shot process. That's really going to help me out down the road. And I'd also like to thank uh, Zamberlin Boots. Just they build the best boots I've ever owned that I've ever used in the woods. Um, just a great set of boots. The those three twenty trail lights. They've turned me back into a. Uh, um, a short boot guy like uh, for a while there I had switched over to running shoes only uh, until I use these boots they're so lightweight um, and a good set of boots seems to propel you down the trail as well um, so I, I really like these boots they seem to actually cut down on fatigue versus a tennis shoe in extreme mountain terrain so uh, I now prefer to use those so they're just great boots if you're in the market they have a bunch of other brands and and um a bunch of other, you know, whatever you're into as far as preferences, as far as stiff and, and loose. They got their tennis shoes model, those 103 trail lights um, or 103 hike lights. So just just great shoes. Uh, also check out Sportsman's Warehouse. They're staying open through this, the majority of their stores. So if you need something, camping, fishing, hunting, um, you know, you can get it through there or through online. And um, it's just great to go in and be able to touch and feel, try on, fit what you're what you're looking to buy. Like I was looking to get another tripod, and I wanted to fit the base plate of my camera and have a base plate for my scope. And so, you know, I was able to look at tripods there, and I can really tell what what the quality is, uh, what the benefits are, you know, as far as the legs, how it's going to hold up. So uh, it's just such a benefit in having stores like that that we can go in and have a selection in there. So um, make sure to support them if you're in the market for anything, Sportsman's Warehouse. And um, over there at Eastman's, yeah, we got um, Beyond the Grid going and, and the Internet TV show um, – the magazines, Eastman's Bow Hunting Journal, Eastman's Hunting Journal. You can get a subscription to both magazines. You can use the promo code Elevated220. Text that to 22828. 
or enter Elevated220 in the promo code at the Eastman's Hunting Journal website. And that'll get you both magazines, $49.99, and get you a free outdoor edge knife. And with that, I'm just riding out the quarantine like everybody else. Um, actually, I'm in a little bit better situation, you know, small town. and um, So I'm still able to work away, work today, and um, getting some fishing in, you know, with not hanging out with buddies anymore or anything like that. It's, it's family only, but... Um, it's pretty nice. My daughter's been running my shuttle and I've been teaming up with my daughters quite a bit and then um, also going solo and um, doing some floats down the river. So that's been fun. Just trying to pass the time um, living in the mountains and in the outdoors and around the river. Uh, you know, can't be around people so much, but um, can definitely still go out and enjoy some things that I love to do. So really looking forward to bear season. I got a great new bear podcast coming up. Um, I think I'm going to try to get it out to you next week before bear season starts. It's with Brandon Purcell. The guy's just a wizard for bears. He just, uh, he guides, you know, 40 to 50 days a year for spring black bears and then plus his own personal hunting. So just so much experience and he's been so on so many harvests, you know, guiding his hunters into good bears. Uh, the guy's just a wealth of knowledge. So it'll make for a great podcast and, um, I'll get that thing edited up and out to you guys next week. Uh, I am launching uh, Eastman's On The Fly, new fly fishing podcast. So I'm going to put out an episode here at Eastman's Elevated, give uh, you guys a listen, and then going to work on launching the site, launch three episodes, and then we'll do an episode a week. So uh, super excited about that. It's a passion project for me, so that should be fun to share that as well. So thanks, you guys, for all the support. I sure appreciate it, and um, check in with you next week.